Hello, my name is Andrew Denny, and I welcome you to Couture and Construction, a weekly podcast featuring conversations with talented, prominent guests to shed light on the stories behind the scenes of luxury build and design. This week, we're joined by a group of some of the best vendors in Nashville's design and build community. Episode 56, Roundtable of Vendors. In Season 3, we're delving deep into a different topic each month. For the month of November, our theme is Design and Build Community Resources. Our conversations will provide advice for members of the Design and Build community, as well as ways for industry professionals to better their businesses from networking opportunities to brand aesthetic. Vendors. They are a crucial component of the design and build process and serve as extended members of the design team. From flooring and lighting to fixtures, finishes, or design services, they're the source of all the individual elements of your design project. Interior designers, builders, architects, and homeowners rely on vendors to turn their dream vision into a physical reality. Choosing the right vendors and developing trusted, mutually beneficial relationships is an important part of long-term success for design and build industry pros. To address these points and further examine how vendors are essential to the design and build community, we're hosting a special roundtable discussion with vendors including Gina Dormany of Circa Lighting, Austin Evans of Evans Glass, John Lupier of Prodigy, Carly Anderson of Artistic Tile, and myself, Andrew Denny of Textures Flooring. So welcome everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Before we get started, I just want to take a couple minutes so everybody can introduce themselves to our listeners. Gina, why don't I start with you? Hey, Andrew. Um, I'm Gina Dormany. I'm the Business Development Specialist at Circa Lighting here in Nashville. I spent about 11 years as an interior designer in New York City and then sold my soul to the sales devils. (laughs) I have never looked back, loving almost every minute of it, Um, and I have absolutely loved Um, spending my time on this side of the process. Um, I've also learned never to treat my vendors poorly ever again as a designer. That's awesome. (laughs) That's really, really cool. Yes, please, listeners, remember that. (laughs) Remember that. Uh, Carly, thank you for being here. Share with us a little bit about you. Yes, thank you. I'm Carly Anderson, showroom manager for Artistic Tile, newly opening in the Nashville Design Collective. And I've been in Nashville since 2013. Um, I like to joke that I'm the only person in Nashville who has three music degrees and did not move here with any (laughs) musical aspirations. Um, I instead love uh, furnishings, interiors, and I'm just thrilled to be part of the artistic tile team to be part of the hard finish selection portion of the build now. Yeah, that's really, really cool. So I have to ask you, Mm -hmm. okay, you brought it up. What are the, what are the three degrees? I have a bachelor of arts in vocal performance. I have a bachelor of um, arts in music history and literature, and I have a Bachelor of Science in audio design and production. Wow. 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 So if you ever need any assistance with your podcast. Yes. Uh, Davis. <laughs> I'm a little proud On notice. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and seriously, Davis, just kidding. Uh, Austin, thank you for being here. Yes, Welcome. Sir. Thank you for um, having us. Yeah. Yeah. So share with us who is Austin yeah. Evans. So I'm Austin Evans with Evans Glass Company. Uh, third generation glazer, born in the glass business, still in the glass business. Uh, 
Uh, we've traditionally been a residential and commercial installation business. More recently, I say recent past 10 years, for us that's recent, um, got into the fabrication side of things. So we supply ourselves as well as other businesses around with glass products. Yeah, very cool. So you'll have a really unique perspective on not only being a vendor to consumers, but to also other businesses. Correct, yes. Okay, very, very neat. Well, again, thanks for being here. John, uh, you're about to be a new neighbor to Textures Nashville. You're here in the Nashville Design Collective. As is almost everybody at this table, with the exception of Austin, we can't fit his his huge operation <laughs> here. Um, uh, but John, share with us uh, who is John and what does Prodigy do? Uh, John Lupier, owner of Prodigy. We are an audio-video audio integration firm uh, specializing in smart home technologies, electrical and lighting design. Uh, native of Indianapolis, uh, moved here 15 years ago, uh, been in the industry for about 20 years. Oh, very cool. Very, very cool. And you, of course, are excited to be opening y'all's brand new showroom. Right now you're south of town, right? Yeah, we're south of town in Smyrna. We have a showroom, but we are excited to have a showroom in Nashville Design Collective uh, uh, the walk-in traffic uh, seems like it'll be nice to have and uh, excited to meet more architects and uh, designers, actually more designers. And Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Space. Well, I am Andrew Denny, and our company is Textures Flooring, and we supply, uh, for the most part, custom-designed hardwood flooring um, for uh commercial applications and luxury residential applications. So guys, again, thank you so much for being here. Um, Carly, I'm going to let you start with kind of the first topic. Uh, how do vendors serve as a resource for the design community? Vendors are all experts in their aspect of the market. And so we support designers in the design community and looking really good and really polished in every aspect of their design. Um, it's about understanding the designer's vision and then using our resources and our showrooms to bring that to life. I was talking to Roy Marcus, our brand ambassador about this, and he kind of likened it to dancing. You know, you, you find a new dancing partner and you kind of want to understand how advanced or um, how basic of steps that they know and how much you're going to have to lead that process. Mm. You know, you might have to have a firm lead and really guide them through all the steps of the dance, or you might just be able to, kick it off and whirl around the dance floor and we can adapt to any of that so that it is a great experience for everyone. Very cool. Very cool. Um, Gina, talk about relationships with interior designers, um, builders, architects versus the homeowner. So um, a lot of times uh, our clients um, are, are kind of accounts, but we're, we're both serving in coordination, their clients, the end user. Kind of walk us through what that looks like. Um, for us, it really starts from, you know, the beginning of the process. So we really like to be involved as early as possible, even though lighting might seem like it's just the jewels that you add at the end. Um, we go as far as architectural lighting your decorative lighting. And if we can be involved from the beginning of that process, um, as early as when you're budgeting, it's very important. So if we're able to have that conversation with the builder, um, if we're able to meet the electrician or whoever's doing the integration um, and really build a relationship with them and the architect from the beginning, then they can really guide us towards who their client is and what they want. Mm. Um, and then we can really you know, target that scenario perfectly for the budget, the aesthetic, and then how we want to work with mm -hmm. that client or mm -hmm. um, 
their vendors. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And um, oftentimes uh, our accounts or, you know, our designers, architects, builders will send their clients in to our showroom um, unaccompanied. Yes. Um, But they've given us the benefit to understand what the scope of the project is, what the budget is, what the needs are, and they're trusting us to to uh, walk the, their client on their behalf through through uh, the process of making a selection. Yes, um, John. When when you're serving the design and build community, um. What does that look like? Because you you have a somewhat unique perspective of uh, audio video integration. That's that's a pretty big envelope to to fill. What does that usually look like? And and again, I'm going to speak on behalf. To me, when we talk about this topic, a resource that's something that seems like it's ever evolving. Everybody else here, everybody can kind of picture a light. I can certainly picture a hardwood floor. Glass for two thousand years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, glass is kind (laughs) of the same, but your stuff may change weekly. Um, And I'm probably being a little bit hyperbolic there, but from a resource perspective, you probably have a a a big nut to carry. Yeah, you know, really, our first big job is to educate the homeowner on what's actually available and and how it can benefit them in their home and make their lives better. Um, to the architect, uh, we are helping them in the design of the home to create shade and drapery pockets and uh, a large enough equipment closet to hold all of the equipment that's going to make the house a smart house, if you will. Uh, the designers really just want us to make all of the technology disappear, mm. but still perform for the homeowners. Mm. And so, uh, you know, we have to we have to tread lightly with all of those different people and make sure that we satisfy everyone individually. Hmm. And then hopefully the system works when we're done. (laughs) (laughs) So, so from a technology standpoint, I would have to assume, and and, I'm just kind of picturing some of my designers and John and I have some, some, uh, uh, mutual clients, um, fantastic clients, actually some of my fantastic mutual clients, but, I don't think that they know a lot about technology. So when their clients ask them, they really have to ask you. We've actually made a lot of strides in the last, I'd say, 10 years with uh, the local Nashville market mm-hmm. designers and architects. Because you're correct that there there was very little technology in the home, uh, unless it was uh, a higher-end home or a client that had uh, lived with technology in the past. Uh, most of the building community didn't want anything to do with it. Mm. But over the last 10 years, it, it's come a long way. Mm. And so they, they're they actually starting to expect the technology in the house now. You just said something really interesting that I'm going to come back to because I think it's a kind of a fascinating question. Austin, how do you serve as a resource for the design and build community? Um, I mean, for the designers and stuff. So as we were talking pre-show, I used to be a designer in another field. So I know kind of how they, they operate when they're doing their drawings They've got a lot, know a little bit about a lot, mm-hmm. but I know mm-hmm. a lot about a little. Mm. Great way so, to put it. you know, give me a call or something when you're in your DD phase or something like that. And I'll walk you through, you know, whether something's possible, what are your options on that? 
Um, then when it comes time to actually build it, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it. But, you know, the, for glass, you know, there's some structural things we've got to look at, some hardware restrictions. The sooner we can figure those out, the sooner we can nail down the design for you. Okay, very cool, very cool. So, um, not on our approved topics list, but I'm going to I'm going to bring this. You just brought up an interesting an interesting point. I know a couple of of you all are new to the Nashville market, but you just use the term higher end homes. So textures, we've been doing this in Nashville since late 2003, early 2004. And a higher-end home in Nashville used to be, you know, $1.6, million, $1.8 million home. And, um, again, still, uh, no disrespect to that, but that's not exactly, on the scale of the homes we're working on now, it, I wouldn't consider that being a, again, there's no disrespect meaning here, but... That used to be like a really high-end home. Now it's not so much like that. How have you guys seen that change? And and what has that done for for the way you do business, budgets, um, that buyer? It's just kind of a, a new world now where, you know, now a lot of times these homes for somewhat, I mean, not somewhat, absolutely beautiful, you know, mansion, they're three, four, five million bucks. It's very common. To be working in a three, four, five million dollar home. I find the biggest challenge there sometimes is that, you know, builders are accustomed to budgeting out for that level of project. And so when you're working on a home that's six million dollars and a builder has already budgeted for something Mm. that's maybe at the level of a million and a half dollar home, Mm. it makes our job really difficult. So I think it goes back to what I said about starting as early as we can in the process and making sure that that budget is set appropriately for, are you going to have architectural lighting? What kind of decorative lights are you going to have? What type of flooring? You know, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that setting those standards ahead of time and really making sure that the market and the people that are building those homes are evolving Mm -hmm. with the clientele. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, we have people that come in and what they are expecting is four times the budget Mm -hmm, that they've mm -hmm. been given. Yeah. Um, So it makes everybody kind of blush a little bit. Yeah. To to say it mildly. And our job is to take care of our builders and our designers and our art and the architects. So, you know, we have, we always go back and have those conversations, but, you know, we obviously never want to, um, to ruffle the feathers in that, in that area. Um, but we do have to sometimes go back and say like, what, what do we need to do here to make Mm -hmm. the client happy and to fulfill this, you know, mm-hmm. seemingly mm-hmm. non-existent budget. Carly, have you run into that? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, it's about understanding the clients and having that relationship. And what yeah. do they want out of the home? Is it a home that they are building for permanence? Or is it a home that they're building for their spell in Nashville and they're moving on? And so when you're building for permanence, you're picking what you love and what you want to see for the next 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. And creating a vision around that Mm -hmm. and those visions, you know, don't necessarily align with the budgets that are originally intended for them. Mm -hmm. And so finding that common ground Mm -hmm. and understanding where you can give a little and where you can take a little to create the whole picture Mm -hmm. while maintaining that, Mm -hmm. that luxury. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Some of my most successful projects have been when the architect has done a lot of that legwork, before the builder is even mm-hmm. selected. Yeah. The architect will yeah. bring in vendors and give us the wish list, if you will, of the client and ask us 
for a reasonable uh, budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll put that together for everything, even before the builder's selected. And I, I've found that that has been the most successful projects that we've been on. Okay. What about you, Austin? Uh, I mean, just as we've seen the budgets of these projects grow, I mean, I, I, I love it because it kind of allows us to spread our wings a little bit more mm-hmm. in the design side of things. Things that I always looked at and be like, man, I wish I could find a client who, who wanted to do mm-hmm. something like that. Now we've got the clients who want to do that. Okay. Um, and that's been real fun. Okay. So is there a time that any of you can think of where you've been able to successfully find great resolutions to those, uh, to those bridges in, in, uh, or been able to build a bridge between what's budgeted and what the dream is. Um, how do you, you know, that's, I think something that probably makes us as a group different is we're the vendors that are very solution focused. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times this does come down to money and, um, you know, a lot of our products perform the exact same way. So it's not a performance thing, but it's the way they look. It's the, you know, those, those types of things. So, uh, I think I'd love to hear a perspective on what you all do to overcome those budgeting challenges. I think it's about understanding how the clients are going to use their home Mm. and how you prioritize the different spaces in the home. Mm For artistic tile, you're thinking about natural stone. The kitchen is a showstopper, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, more of the budget's going to sit there. Um, the guest bathroom, maybe not quite so much. Mm-hmm. You know, the laundry room, the powder room. Well, the powder room, you want that to be a showstopper mm-hmm. too. But the laundry room, the mud room, you know, we have beautiful materials that we can maintain that same integrity and that luxury and that vision throughout the space, but maybe not, you know, put Calicutta gold in the laundry room. Like, mm-hmm. Let's save mm-hmm. that for mm-hmm. the kitchen or the primary bath um, mm-hmm. and just appropriately allocating it that way. Um, but still maintaining that integrity throughout. Mm-hmm. What we've done here is, is we've tried to create, um, we often say that we're kind of our product lineup is better, best ultimate. Yes. And um, so what we try to do is have similar products in each of those tiers. So if ultimate was the original design custom one off, then we're trying to design things that have similar attributes Mm -hmm. that might not have all of those attributes that are at lower price points that we can suggest to suggest to our clients. But a lot of times the clients have just decided that's what we want anyway. Um, It's, it's really hard (laughs) when you see something because a challenge we run into is again, you brought up a a great point, you know, ultimately we're serving and we view our client as the specify or the, the builder, the designer, whomever that's our relationship but we have to work with them to make sure that their client is incredibly well served. Um, we want them to outsource anything related to flooring to us mm-hmm. so that our client doesn't have to worry about any of those things. But a lot of times it does come down to dollars and cents and we have to be very um, protective of, of not making anybody look bad. I, and I don't think there's any ill intentions on, on budgeting. Um, but sometimes again, if you walk into a beautiful showroom, we have two samples here that 90% of our clients walk to and say, Oh, I really like this. And they happen to be our two most expensive samples. Mm 
And there's a reason why 90% of the people walk in and they're like, oh, that's what I want. It's because they're the nicest and best and most expensive thing we have. Yeah. Um, so, but we can't hide those things. We, we want to sell those things, but sometimes they're just not in the budget. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's when we have that initial client meeting, we do our best to stick to that budget mm -hmm. that the builder has given us. Um, but then what I will often do is I'll have an alternate, you know, mm -hmm. list of things. And I'll go back to the builder and say, hey, this is what the client is really saying that they want. Um, we are respecting the budget that you've given us. How should we proceed moving forward? Mm -hmm. um, offering them, like you said, alternates. So mm -hmm. where do you want to really put your money? Um, these are areas that we can, this is the best of the best, but here's something that looks similar that we can substitute. Um, and then I think between the builder and the client, letting them, you know, take what you've given them mm -hmm. and they see the prices, they see the difference in what you're giving them and then they can make that decision mm -hmm. ultimately. Mm -hmm. But I think it's learning who those customers are, respecting the boundaries of your customer, who's the builder, um, and then giving them the option to, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. move from there. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're talking a little bit about price right now. And I always try to make sure that, you know, and again, you don't have to have an MBA to understand this concept. There's such a vast difference between price and value. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we feel like, and I bet you everybody here probably feels the same. We've built a business not on being the low price provider, but on the value that we bring to the table. And um, I'd like to kind of understand from you all what your perspective is on the value add that a specialty vendor brings. And I'll, I'll kind of kick this off just to give an example. We feel that we understand the trends in floor covering and that we are actually <clears throat> the trendsetters um, for, for what we do. And we're uniquely positioned in the marketplace to work with the best architects and interior designers in the South. So we have a very unique perspective on what today's homeowners across like a vast spectrum of design want and need for, for their homes. So we're able to translate what a client is saying and find the perfect product for them. And then for us, we're able to fully kind of bring that from design, design all the way through implementation. And there's one relationship there's not a bunch of different relationships. If something goes wrong, which inevitably does, there's one person to call and, and they handle it. So that's our big value add. What about, why don't we start with John on this one? What's y'all's value add? I think our biggest value add is, is uh, like I said in the beginning, is educating the client on what's possible in their home and then showing them how it's going to make life in their new home better for them. Mm -hmm. A perfect example is teaching a client that when they go to bed, they can simply hit the good night button and turn all the lights off and shut all the window coverings. <laughs> they don't have to walk through the house and shut all the light switches off. So it, it's really an education thing on, on what this is, what's it costs and, and how it provides value to them in their home. So again, I go down rabbit holes. Do you guys have a metric on like what the annual time savings is for whoever is in charge of lights no, to turn that no, off? Because that's got to save hours. 
And then that can be amortized to understand an offset cost. Well, before LED lighting, <laughs> there was a real metric on how much your energy savings mm. were by dimming by mm. dimming the incandescent lamp stand. That's really a moot point with yeah. LED lighting. Okay, very cool. Austin, how do you how do you guys create that value? Uh, there's a few things, you know. First of all, just, you know, the values of honesty and trustworthiness. Mm. You know, my my clients trust me to take care of their job and tell them like, man, like amen. Amen. That's a good one. Um, they also trust me to do it right too. So I'm going to make sure I, I take it to the end. And that's right. Um, on kind of the fabrication standpoint, what we value added is we have all of our fabrication in house. Mm -hmm. So I can actually go down there and talk to the guys who are making the shower doors, who are doing these sorts of things where other people can't, mm. they're ordering these materials out from other cities and things like that. Um, but I can go down there, look at the glass, see if that's going to work, scratch it, not going to work. Mm -hmm. Try it this way, see if that's going to work. Um, yeah. Man, I love that. Yeah, and I, that's that's absolutely fantastic. Carly? Artistic Tile has relationships, and those relationships go to the quarries overseas. They go to um, the people that have been within the business itself, there's a lot of knowledge and tenure within artistic tile. Mm. And there's a lot of really strong relationships that are, you know, as old as the brand itself. Mm. And I think that that gives us the, the key to getting the really unique material. Mm. Um, for example, one of the owners was in Italy in September and I had been looking for a slab for a client and mm. we didn't have enough slab on hand to complete the project that she wanted to do. And while he was in Italy, he was texting me pictures of the product and mm. it's like, send these over, send these over. And so it's, it's everything is that close, um, to the beginning of the process and all of those relationships are as old as the brand. So. That has to be a very special experience for your client yeah. to know that the owner of, I mean, artistic is a pretty large company. Yeah. Um, and that the owner cared enough about a client in Nashville at a new location yeah. that they took time out of their trip in Italy to be sourcing something just for them. Yeah. That's really it's cool. It's amazing. Yeah. Isn't I it? bet you that does yeah. not happen too often. I mean, that even felt good to me. I got his text and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, Talk so about, super exciting. That's a great culture. Yeah. That's a great culture. How about, how about Miss Gina? I think it's kind of along the same lines for us. I mean, customer service, I think, is what we really value. You know, I think what people see the value in from Circa. We are the manufacturer, so I think transparency is huge. We are owned and operated by our manufacturer. So um, if something goes wrong, I have transparency to how to fix it faster. Mm -hmm. We're not going, you know, a lot of people can sell the light fixtures that, mm -hmm. that we have. Mm -hmm. um, but because we are the owner and the manufacturer, we are able to find out what's going on. You know, what, why is that lead time actually being pushed mm -hmm. and be able to guide our client to say like, Hey, I would really, I think you should make a different decision and mm -hmm. move in a different direction. Um, and then when things go wrong, like you said, they inevitably do. Um, we now have all of our showrooms uh, across the country. We're really trying to have more boots on the ground. So people like me who are on job sites all the time, um, not just selling products to clients. That's not our end goal. Our end goal is not just to sell products. It is to start from the beginning, order the products for people, help with the specification process, help with the delivery process, and finish through installation. So I think it's really making sure um, that we 
we satisfy all of those mm-hmm. needs for our customers. Yeah, yeah so. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And one thing I've noticed about y'all's company is I love that there's a standard. And there's a standard yeah. for all of ours, uh, all of our companies. But one thing, and this seems very, very small. Um, I love how you all have even paper clips. Yeah. That have to be used in client presentation. I just think that speaks. Her little light bulb. Yeah, paper yeah. Cuts. I just yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's those little details, but it's it's so important to your brand and to into who you all are. I think that standard again enhances the the people we serve. Well, and um, I think that it's important what you said about it's not about the the lowest price. Mm-hmm. We're all offering the highest level of customer service to a different part of the market. Mm-hmm. And we can service multiple parts of the market, but like customer service is mm-hmm. what we're mm-hmm. really here to provide. Yeah, I think Austin shared something interesting and, you know, I'll kind of add it's, I can compete with a big box store on price. Yeah. Like it's, I can compete, but they cannot compete with me on service. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, that's where the value is. Uh, so we probably need to raise our prices when you use that. <laughs> I know. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, 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 but see, funny. but you know, uh, again, to kind of go down another rabbit hole, it's funny how sometimes, and again, we can kind of go into this this next topic. But what do we look for in good partners? Because there's some folks out there that want the lowest price and the best service. And um, being a local company that, you know, was built up by myself and this team, we've had those clients and they ended up not being the right fit for us. Um, and so so what we look for in a partnership is somebody that really does want a superior product and trusts us to do what we're really good at um, and uh, brings clients to the table that want value. Uh, they they want a fair price for an exceptional product, and they want somebody that can stand behind it. Have any of y'all worked with people that wanted the lowest price and the best service? Uh, to me, that's an expectation issue they had, and it, and it seemed like, you know, I don't know if that works for others. Yeah, I mean, we're, we never will win a job on price. Uh, so, I mean, if you're using us already you're not looking for the lowest price mm-hmm. uh, we probably all fall under that category yeah. Yeah. i would say 90 percent of the people can afford 90 percent of what's in our showroom mm-hmm. every time someone walks in mm-hmm. and it's not about price it's about mm-hmm. value and they the value goes hand in hand with the quality mm-hmm. you know it's it's an extension sure. of the quality sure and gosh sure. when you try to to make those scenarios that don't fit fit, you sure do learn your lesson. Uh, so you know, hard. it always it's works so out the same it's way. It's so hard, but it's like you always you know going into it mm-hmm. how it's going to turn out, and you know I think as salespeople, <laughs> still, we're, the, I, I still do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, you, you don't want to say, say no. Like I don't want to say no to people. Right. I want to make a scenario fit, and I know before I go into it when it's not going to be a good fit, and I'm always kicking myself at the end, and so I think it's just. Just reminding ourselves as vendors that of what our value is. Um, you know, I think I learned that as a designer. It's like if somebody wants to price shop you mm-hmm. on the internet, like go to they can go price shop you. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. the right fit, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. 
I think the other thing that goes in hand with that is that, you know, people have these expectations that become unrealistic when they're looking for the lower price and the highest quality of service. Mm -hmm. They expect that there aren't going to be any bumps in the roads and that everything is going to be perfect. It's, that's not what we do. That's going to happen. It's it's about how we react to the problems and how we pivot to get the right product at the end. And that is where I find the biggest pain point when you're working with a client who is kind of on either end of the spectrum as far as price and value. Mm -hmm. I agree. Totally, totally agree. Okay. So, John, I'm going to throw this next topic to you, and you've already hit on this a little bit, but um, where ideally do you want to come into the process? And to throw a little twist on that, (laughs) how late in the process can you come in and still have a successful outcome? Well, on new construction, we can come in late. Obviously, the earlier, the better. Um, we still have uh, plenty of builders in town that will bring us in the day before the electrician starts wiring the house, <laughs> which always uh, makes it a, a challenging um, project from the get-go. But uh, if we can get in during architecture, uh, that's always the best uh, uh, solution for us. And does that help? So as a little a little hidden tip here, if you're brought in earlier and you get to plan, I would ass- is there some cost benefit for the client there? Sure, yeah. There are a lot of times where we're brought in late. We bring the client into the showroom. The client sees all this stuff that they now want to do, and then we have to go back and start reframing and redrawing. Uh, we've had uh, we've had builders that had to pull all the electrical out of the house because it's already been wired and rewire the entire system because they wanted lighting control. Were they mad at you? No. They were, <laughs> they were happy. They were mad at the builder because the builder didn't tell them that No, I'm saying, was, that the, that bil- was, was the builder mad oh, at you? Oh, of course the builder <laughs> Of course. Uh, we joke. We love you, builders. I promise we love you. Um, but that's a good education for the builder. Uh, yeah. When that happened, honestly, uh, the builder called us on the next one and said, hey, we probably need to talk earlier. <laughs> and I hated to say I told you so. <laughs> I think all of us around the table would agree the earlier we're brought in, yeah. the better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, for us, you know, I'd like to get in there early just to make stuff, make sure stuff is structurally, you mm-hmm. know, able to be done. Because I hate coming in at the end of a project and the, the customer has this grand vision for a huge shower enclosure or handrail or something. But A, the roof of the house is on, so we can't get a piece of glass in that big. Or B, oh. there's certain limitations on, on hardware. You know, what you want can't be supported by this load, um, things like that. Especially for handrails and guardrails, that's a, a big one where the, the earlier we can get in, the, the better. Because uh, there are some substrate structural things that have to go into that that you can't just add on at the end. Wow, I never thought about moving a big piece of glass somewhere yeah, they that could bend easily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got a, you know you got a master bedroom down a hallway and you got to make a couple curves and you want a big piece of glass in there uh, sometimes that's not going to fit wow oh that's a bummer so, oh that would be so awful to find out at the end yeah that's a terrible position to be in when you're sitting uh, your fault again yeah <laughs> uh carly what about you definitely as early as possible um when it comes to selecting those hard fixtures, you know, paint and pallet can be malleable if you find a stone that you fall in love with mm-hmm. um, and you build your pallet around that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes you could 
miss out on a stone that you fall in love with because you're forcing it into a certain palette that you've already married yourself to. So yeah, totally. totally. Definitely calls early. Yeah. Gina? Early. 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 Before, before you break ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, again, it goes into budget. It goes into um, wiring, like what's going on with the electrical behind the scenes. Um, you know, you structural support. I mean, somebody selects a large chandelier that can't be structurally supported and they're having to go in after the fact and, and add that. Um, and then lead time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all dealing with this right now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it's just the way things are going to keep mm-hmm. going. So it feels good when a client goes ahead and selects everything. And then we know that we have the, the mm-hmm. foresight to see what's happening with these lead times. And then people aren't disappointed. Um, so, you know, Early is good. Yeah. Always. So interestingly, I'll throw a little twist on this. Our average, uh, our our best clients right now are making selections right around groundbreaking and when footers are, are being poured. But from my perspective, um, sometimes I really like when people come late in the game um, because it... Uh, uh, it's not a leverage thing, but there's things that we can do and there's things that we can't do. Right. And a client is a lot more receptive to that. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to deal with the different time frames. From an, a time investment standpoint, sometimes I really like for the client, I feel like the footers can be too early. There's a lot of times now that our clients and even I kind of forget what their selection was by the time, by the time it gets installed. Sometimes I'm even like, what house? And again, these are great people. And then it'll come to me and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we haven't installed that yet. And, and we'll come full circle. So I like really when framing begins and then that kind of month six weeks of framing if we can be walking through the decision process so that we're in a place at the completion of framing to be able to um walk the job site together and even kind of look at a sample even if it's not dried in but see it in a in a home that's that's kind of our sweet spot i really i really like that yeah, we don't, even though somebody might order something six mm. months out, we have, we will set a do not release. We have a warehouse mm. where we'll um, actually hold goods. So we always do that electrical oh, walkthrough. Cool. So I'm not usually releasing goods until I'll deliver the goods to the job site mm-hmm. the day before the electrician's coming, yeah. because that gives us the leverage to be able to make changes, changes. later. Mm. But at least you know that they're not um, pigeonholed into selecting things that are in stock within the next month mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. but I, it is kind of a challenge and fun fun game sometimes to figure oh, yeah. out how to make something work in two weeks yeah i know i know <laughs> i will say getting in on it early is of course beneficial but then there's too many options right well it's that like, too and then oh, well, what else might come in and so you know people don't necessarily want to make a decision because they are always um enticed by that that piece that they don't even know exists yet so well and and uh, just to piggyback on what you said that value add right there we have i mean not anybody can just come to us and say i need something in two weeks but we do have clients right now that could say i need something in two weeks Mm -hmm. and we will make that happen for those clients 
And, um, you know, that's one of those, again, unique value adds that we bring to the relationship table. So, um, well, especially the like really high end builders who are doing spec houses now, mm -hmm. spec houses are like on Mm -hmm. a custom level Mm -hmm. at this point. And when you get to know those customers, they can literally send you their plans. You can go do a walkthrough Mm -hmm. and you can order it for Mm -hmm. them and there's Mm -hmm. no questions asked. So that's a good relationship Mm -hmm. to have. Yeah. We like those. We like those. Uh, so let's, let's come back to, um, uh, you know, how we help in the design process. We're really a representation or a representative of the firm we're working with to get a job completed. Um, how do you view and how do you help uh, your clients really navigate that? So what I have found over the last 20 years is that our clients' clients, the end user, are stepping into this process and they maybe do it, you know, once in a lifetime, a couple times in a lifetime, and at different intervals and in different cities with different cast of characters. Gina, how do you, you know, really devote the time and energy? What does the process look like in, in walking somebody through the selection process for their quote-unquote dream home? Um, I always say come to us with as much material as possible. Mm. So um, elevations, plans, if you have your plumbing already selected, um, paint colors, anything that you um, can possibly come to us with. And, you know, we typically in our showroom, we sit down, we have a big screen. And if the client can send me any inspiration before, we'll go ahead and have some options pulled just mm. to kind of help narrow down yeah. the the huge array of fixtures that are out there. Um, but then we really just go through the process with them and say, you know, narrow down what they like, what they don't like. Um, we'll often, you know, walk around the showroom, kind of explain to them the benefit of what using this over that might, might mean for their project and why spending this over that is important or why they don't need to spend that much money. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think it's really just getting to know the the client through that selections process. Um, We continue it, like I said, by walking the job sites um, and then continuing that process with the client. So we do a selections meeting, but then there's revisions. Mm -hmm. And um, and what kind of time investment should an end user be looking at to make selections for, for lighting? We typically try to limit a meeting to an hour. Oh, okay, cool. Um, You know, it doesn't always stick to an hour. Um, But again, the more prepared that they come in and the more prepared we are beforehand, um, the better that process goes and the faster it goes. Because I think if you go over an hour sometimes – you can see people wearing down. Mm -hmm. So you can see them really like becoming overwhelmed. They become tired. They become kind of frustrated to an Mm -hmm. extent. So I think even if you're not finished with that whole selections process after about an hour saying, Hey, let's, let's see what we've got here. Let's put it into a quote. Let's see where we stand on budget and then let's reassess Mm -hmm. and let's, you know, come back to it. So I think just not trying to force everything all at once because you never want your client to feel like they've come in and just kind of like mm-hmm. been rushed through the process mm-hmm. and then. Um, sure. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. Carly, Carly, is it a Definitely. similar process for artistic? Yes. And I think <clears throat> one of the things that I want to elaborate on that Gina said was what clients like and what they don't like. I think a lot of times clients are 
very easy to identify what they like and less what they don't like. But sometimes we find that what you don't like or what won't work Mm -hmm. is a huge, um, it's a huge unlock for the whole process. Because, for example, if someone, you know, is looking for a a wet room or a shower floor, gray stone isn't going to be in the option. And so to take that off of the table immediately and redirect the vision there is, is so helpful. And it keeps yeah, it I agree. streamlined and focused because you're right. After about an hour, you start to lose people. They get tired. Yeah. They get hungry. They get frustrated. They forget what they saw. Um, so it helps that time restraint also helps kind of the, the endless options. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. A lot of times I'll start a meeting and, and, um, and ask what they don't like. Yeah. And, and when they say, well, you know, for the last 10 years, we've had kind of these orange hardwood floors. I know we don't want that. Yes. You know, that, I mean, we don't have a lot of orange hardwood floors, but we have things that are in that more traditional realm. So I know right away, okay, let's, let's show things that are as far away from that as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Uh, that's the biggest, I think the biggest indicator of which way to move. Yeah. Yeah. Do not like. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Austin, how do you kind of walk people through uh, the process? So mine's a little bit easier because on orders of magnitude, we're much smaller product line. You know, mm-hmm. glass is glass. There's clear glass. There's slightly clearer glass. You know? <laughs> so there's only so many things that you can pick out. Mm-hmm. What I like to do is get people in this space because you're going to be interacting with my product, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be thinking about interacting with my product once you're using it. Oh, wow. So I want you to be in that space and, you know, kind of, you know, essentially pretend like you're taking a shower, getting mm-hmm. in and out. How, mm-hmm. how are you going to use this? You know, does this door need to come out an inch further so you can reach around it and turn the, the faucet on? Do you want it left hand, right hand to kind of work with the flow of the room better? Uh, that's what I like to do. Just get people in the space, imagining it, using it, because by the time I'm done, I don't want them to see my product or think about my product. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking at Carly's tile or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, <laughs> they're not looking at my glass. They're not cussing the door every time they're opening it because they're like, oh, I should have been on the other side or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Very cool. John, what about you? Uh, The process for us typically takes numerous meetings and revisions because the client uh, will usually come in with a a pretty large wish list of technology features that they've seen or heard of, and that uh, usually exceeds their initial budget. And so there's typically quite a bit of value engineering and and revisions that, that happen. Um, and then a lot of times that gets added back as the project progresses, but it, it takes quite a while. How do you prep? I mean, you're so the uh, Tossin's point earlier, glass has been around a long time and yeah. glass has been glass. Your technology, your technology is always changing. Mm-hmm. And I often think about the amount of times, you know, annually, I just have to update my iPhone mm-hmm. so that it keeps up with technology. How do you prepare your clients for that? You know, what's brand new today probably follows the same type of, of technology pattern as an iPhone. You know, it sure. may be out of date in the not too distant future. Well, you, the key word that you said is iPhone, and, mm-hmm. and uh, because we rely so heavily on our phones and our tablets and our TVs, uh, the clients kind of understand that inherently buying a technology system means that I'm going to buy the company that provided it because I'm going to need them for service and upgrades mm, and, okay. and things like that. So service is... Um, Man, you've service got a smart is the business. Yeah, it's the most. <laughs> 
That's the most important part of our business is service after the sale. Because they can buy the equipment from a lot of different people, but mm-hmm. uh, they have to choose. You know, we hope that they choose us because they know that we have enough um, employees and technicians that we can take care of their issues as they happen. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, final topic, guys. We're all uh, here in the Nashville market. Um, some of us have, uh, well, national locations. Um Let's talk about trends that we see um, coming forward. Carly, why don't we start with with you and um, where are the trends heading in in this stone and tile industry? So um, I will say one thing. We like to stay away from trends because stone and tile is timeless. Huh? Um, it's from antiquity. <laughs> it's and been beyond. around almost yes, as exactly. long as glass. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Probably longer. Probably longer. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say what um, seems to be catching the eye of the public is slab. Um, Really unique, bold, beautiful, expressive stones. Mm. Everyone spent the past two years in their home and they want to have something a little bit more visually exciting than, you know, just the black and white and gray. Mm. So we're seeing lots of color, um, lots of fun, and that designing for that longevity and that permanence. Gina, how about... What are the trends in lighting? Um, so Nashville in particular is interesting because it's a very traditional mm. place, but you have a lot of people moving in from all over the country. So you're kind of starting to see people like the traditional aesthetic, but moving in a more transitional direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say nationally, we're starting to see like this whimsical push. So natural materials, um, whether it's for tan uh, you know, something that looks like it's paper or it's, I'm, we're getting a lot of requests for things that feel more natural and more, um, whimsy, I guess. Hmm. I, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but, um, so organic, organic. Feeling? Yes. Okay. Um, I, it's, that's the trend nationally that we're mm-hmm. seeing that we have started seeing in some of like the spec builds that are going on here. Um, but you know, we do still, we, we have just the good traditional standards that Circa has always sold. So I, I'm seeing the trend towards people just like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, also just things that they haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. So more, um, let's say sculpture, Mm -hmm. sculptural and um, so organic, but sculptural and kind of artistic in Hmm. form. Okay. Very cool. So, so that, that's very interesting because um, uh, one of our Voices of Impact guests uh, is, is Kate Abney from Lux um, uh, Magazine. And she talked about the trends they're seeing uh, are very much in alignment with, with what you all just shared, where um, the psychological impact of the pandemic and being home has uh, moved things to organic, Mm -hmm. but also warm and inviting. Mm -hmm. So she even cited, um, you know, colors like bleach terracotta and apricot that are more traditional Southern colors, but kind of invoke a sense of um, warmth uh, are becoming more and more popular. And we're seeing that, with more of a return from like the grays and whites to that more traditional 
um, you know, oh, kind of pecan tones yeah. and browns and yeah. or or like driftwood, mm-hmm. um, but definitely with more of kind of an earth, uh, kind of an earthen feel to yeah, it. Yeah, it's like people want brass again. Yeah, you know? yeah. and it's that's what I was gonna say. And I love event. it. Yeah. I, you yeah. know, I think it's time to me. It's timeless, and it works with all those warm mm-hmm. tones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less cold. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's a great way to do it. It's less cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really pretty cool. Uh, John, what trends are you seeing? Uh, in technology, it's really smaller and more discreet. Hmm, okay. So they want the technology. They want the security and the Wi-Fi. They want the TVs, but they want it to look like a piece of art when they're not watching <laughs> yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Or they want it to go down in a lift mm-hmm. and disappear. Yeah. They like the big sound, but they want it out of a really small aperture. Mm. Um, or even an invisible speaker. And oh, so. Wow. Uh, you know, that's been coming on for quite a while, but uh, they come to expect that. Now. I like how y'all are putting subs below the subfloor. We do that a lot. That's really, yeah, really we cool. We do that a lot. And then outdoor entertaining spaces is, is grown substantially mm. as well. They want their TV outside. They want the music outside. Wi-Fi has to be really good while they're sitting around the pool. So, yeah. No, that's really cool. Austin, what are you seeing? Uh, we're seeing more glass handrails, guardrails in mm. construction these days. Um, Nashville has always been a few years behind the trends mm-hmm. glass-wise, and it's been big in other cities for a decade or so. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it more now. Pool fences, guardrails, stair stairs, things like that. Yeah, I remember seeing and, from the design magazines yeah. years ago, you yeah. know, these awesome uh, glass yeah. fences or, or those guardrails, yeah. like, you know, around a pool, and it's like, mm. wow, that is, yeah. you know, what Iron Man would have at, yeah. at his house, and yeah. now, now that we're seeing him in what Nashville. I was talking about earlier, where it's like, <laughs> we finally have the customer who wants to let us do that sort of thing, yeah. so we're ready to do it. Do you attribute that to the influx of out-of-town people moving here? That, and I think just, you know, the online presence mm-hmm. too. I mean, people can see a lot more from around the world these days. Yeah. A lot yeah. more inspiration. So. so, and that's going to be our final topic. So I'm going to pop this on. So you yeah. brought up online. Final thing, how has social media impacted each of you as a vendor? Austin, why don't we just carry on with that? Uh, social media, not too much, but we have leveraged the internet. You know, we have a our website where we take requests online mm-hmm. and we're able to kind of do a lot of just email correspondence of just design and pricing and stuff like that before things even get going. Uh, social media, it's allowed us to get some of our designs out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I got in the houses more after they were done to, mm-hmm. to get the final pictures. Okay. But it also lets me, you know, see what other companies around the, the country and world are doing too. Okay. So it provides inspiration to me as well. Very cool. Very cool. Carly? Um, starting with artistic tile has been, um, a kind of a renaissance for me. I had my, you know, my personal social media and whatnot, and I didn't have anything professional related to that. Mm -hmm. And where I worked before you were not supposed to advertise on social media. And so now I've been creating a profile and partnering with, um, Kylie and Colleen, who are also design associates in the Nashville showroom and, figuring out like how do we tag each other in things and Mm -hmm. taking fun videos and what's going on in the design collective and what's going on in the showroom. And I'm excited to see how that continues to build excitement about us being here and what we do. Uh, I also think it's really fun in the Nashville community. You get to look out for each other and you get to highlight what other people are doing. And it's 
kind of like free advertising. Mm -hmm. Um, And you all get to run in your same (laughs) circle of friends. And you know that the people that you're sharing, that their work is quality and they're going to be delivering the same caliber as you. So I think that's fun. Gina? I think for us, it's been really wonderful to be able to highlight our clients. Mm. So, you know, we do a lot of of pushes towards um, doing digital editorial where we're able to highlight a builder or a builder and a designer. And um, we've done designer spotlights and builder spotlights across the country. Um, And so that coincides with email blasts and our Instagram. And I think it's really cool too, just to be able to see what somebody in Houston's doing with these lights or what somebody in New York is doing. Um, We also have a feature where if a customer uh, takes a photo of our, of a, an install with our product in it, they can tag circle lighting and we can actually link that to our website. So then when customers go in and, you know, they see the Darlana fixture, they can see it actually installed Mm. in photography in people's homes Mm. through the, and then it links them to the designer's Instagram. So that can actually give them more exposure. So I think it's really that just trying to, um, to, to really help pull in, um, and th- thank in a lot of ways, but also highlight the people mm-hmm. that we work mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Um, and who buy our products. Yeah, I echo that. That's kind of exactly what our philosophy on social media has been, is to A, create a portfolio to help our current clients be able to visualize what we do, but then also partner with with our, um, with our the trade community mm-hmm. to um, kind of highlight what they're creating. We love showing what people create. And again, we're just part of that story as a vendor, but it's so fun at the end to do that. And going back to how we serve our clients, them bringing in inspiration has been so helpful. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though those pictures never, ever, ever, ever look like they do in real life. Um, There's never Photoshop going on. No, no. I mean, I have had arguments with with clients that have come in, brought a picture of our floor, (laughs) and I pull the floor, and they're like, no, that's not the floor. And I'm like... "Uh, like, It is. I promise you. I promise you. It's the floor. That was at a moment in time with certain lighting after a photographer's edited it this is it yeah like no that's not it mm. yeah they'll, they'll like photoshop a stem mm. out mm. of a fixture that yeah. cannot be hardwired uh, and you're yes. like no. <laughs> <laughs> okay well guys that has been fantastic i really appreciate us uh leaning into this this topic i think this has been really really great and gives our listener uh kind of a behind the curtain look at, at how this stuff gets pulled off so it's time for rapid fire um so uh i am going to start with uh gina okay what is your favorite thing about nashville seasons i ah. lived in the deep south and i lived in new york where the seasons were very extreme and nashville to me has the most perfect like combination of like how seasons should uh, be. Man, this this year has been particular. This has been a good fall. Yeah, like yes. it's actually felt like a fall. Yeah. Although nobody told me it rained this much. Oh no, yeah. yeah. But it other rains. than that, at least have it you makes been it through really winter green. here? Have you been through yes, winter? Yes, I have. We get more thirty-four degree rain in yeah. this place than. <laughs> but at least it, it, <laughs> it does last until like uh, June in uh, New York. So yeah. you know. No, it just lasts until it. the tornadoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, John, what's the last concert you went to? Jamie Johnson. 
Phenomenal show. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Austin, what's the one item you could never live without? Uh, let's go category, just beer. <laughs> yeah. 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 You and me both, Windex. Yeah, Windex. Okay, Carly, last yes. one. Um, how do you get inspired? I am inspired by, honestly, other people's excitement and mm. their energy and their inspiration. Mm. Um, when you hit that chord with someone and it's just the right thing and their eyes light up and the whole tone changes, that's what I'm always striving for. That's fantastic. Typically for our listeners, there's a unique superpower question. Um, and we were talking about this before we did the recording. So I'm actually going to let Carly answer this as well, because I think we <laughs> all share as vendors, a, a unique superpower. So Carly, I'm kicking this last one to you. What is the unique superpower of vendors? We see both sides of it. Mm. We see the hard work that happens under the water, and we see the beauty that happens at the end, and we help facilitate all of that. So. Yeah, well said, well said. Okay, Gina, Carly, Austin, John, thank you all so much for being our guests and sharing a great perspective on serving as an important resource resource to the design and build community. Listeners, you can follow our guests on Instagram, at Circa Lighting, at Artistic Tile underscore Nash, at Prodigy Nashville, and at Evans Glass Company. And we'll include these links to their, uh, to their websites and their IG accounts in our show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week, I'm your host, Andrew Denny. Thanks for listening. As always, if you enjoyed the show, we would love for you to share Couture and Construction with your friends and colleagues. And we want to hear your feedback, so please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Couture and Construction is brought to you by Textures Nashville, produced by Davis Osborne, and is recorded live in the Textures Nashville showroom inside the Nashville Design Collective.